Start off with a bit of humor. The Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter writes this, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. You remember that scripture? 2 Peter 3.8. So there was an economist who was reading this, and he was quite amazed. And so he began to talk to the Lord about this verse. And he said, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is like one minute to you? The Lord said, yes, it is true. Then the economist said to the Lord, then a million dollars to us must be just like one penny to you. And the Lord said, yes. So the economist thought for a moment, and then he asked, well, will you give me one of those pennies, please, Lord? And the Lord replied, yes, I will, in a minute. <laughs> so this morning I want to talk about um, daring to make a difference with our lives. And one of the ways that we can do that, for example, through this project that we're doing with Pastor Samu and Susanna. You know, as, as, as I've returned from the nation of Fiji, Fiji first heard the gospel in 1830 by three Tahitian workers from the London Missionary Society. In 1830, the gospel came to Fiji, and it began to spread rapidly. In fact, in the early days of the gospel in Fiji, many of the chiefs of the tribes received the gospel and were soundly converted until the gospel penetrated right through all the islands. And in fact, Fiji became one of the first sending nations in great volume where they sent missionaries out from the nation of Fiji. But you see, we have a problem, and the problem is seen in our own nation of New Zealand. And that is simply this. Wherever the gospel has been taken root, for example, let's look at Europe. The Apostle Paul received a vision from Macedonia, come over here and help us bring the gospel in the book of Acts. He saw a man in a vision saying, we need your help. So instead of Paul heading out through Turkey into Asia, he headed west and took the gospel into Europe. And all through Europe, you will see signs of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been there for 2,000 years. There are great cathedrals and edifices that br bring us a testimony of the fact that the gospel went all the way through Europe. But the problem that we have now in the year 2019 is that many of those cathedrals are empty. Many of those church buildings are empty. They're monuments to man without the breath of God's Spirit in there. And so what's taken place in both Europe and places like Fiji is that the gospel has become entrenched and it's become a religion. Instead of the life-giving force, like the book of Acts, where the gospel was supposed to take a root within the culture in such a way that the gospel was passed on and on and on. Miracles, signs and wonders continuing to happen in these nations. And so as I've visited the nation of Fiji, I've seen that statistically, for example, the demographics and the stats from the government will say that 75% of all indigenous Fijians belong to the Methodist church. But the problem is, is that hardly any, any of them ever go to church. And what's happened in the Methodist church over there, with all respect to any church that originally hears the gospel, is that over periods of time, the love of many grow cold. And what happens is, Life-giving, spirit-filled Christianity becomes a religion. 
And people may still attend, but there's no spark on the inside because they haven't been born again by the Holy Spirit. And so all that we have left is a monument to the original spark of the gospel. And many are just, if they do go to church, they go to church, but there's no life in it for them. It's just a way of life instead of knowing the one who gave them life. Amen. And so why is Faith Point in Fiji? The reason why we're there is because Fiji needs to be re-evangelized with the gospel. And those of you who are Fijian in the congregation this morning, you'll understand what I'm saying. We need spirit-filled Christianity, followers of Christ who are disciples, making a difference every day with their life and witness in that nation. There is still a great work to be done. We look at our own nation of New Zealand where the gospel came around about the same time to our nation. You know, 50% of New Zealanders in the, um, the, the census... 50% of New Zealanders will still, still align themselves with Christianity, but guess how many turn up to a church service on a Sunday? Less than 10%. So statistically, we may affiliate ourselves with the church of our parents or our ancestors, but it doesn't mean that we know Jesus. Are you, are you hearing where I'm coming from? So there's a great need. We talk about reaching the unreached. Well, in our own nation, 90% of New Zealanders still need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's just as valid in the nation of Fiji where we need to continue to forge ahead and see spirit-filled kingdom living within that nation today. You know, Revelations chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 give us a future glimpse of what's going to happen at the what has happened at the end of the time of the gospel being spread throughout the nations. And I want to read this prophetic glimpse into the future in heaven where God gives us a picture of what's taken place at the end of the end of times and whether the church has been successful or not successful. Revelations Chapter 7, verse 9. After this, this is the Apostle, uh, the Apostle John. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Whew. Somebody was doing their job here on earth. A multitude that no one could count. Just an endless mass of faces and humanity. From every nation... Every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A multitude, an innumerable number. A number like the sand of the seashore was worshipping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God in heaven. Totally focused their whole attention upon Jesus. Why? Because the church on earth had taken the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group on the face of the earth. And as a result, we see prophetically a glimpse at the end of the age, the results of the harvest being reaped in heaven. How did they get there, friends? They got there because how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news to the peoples of the world. 
how beautiful are the feet of them. You know, I look at my feet and I don't consider them to be beautiful. Neither does she. Um, But God looks at the intent and motive of our hearts to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, when you're moving with me and you're taking this gospel to the unreached people of the world, this is what it means to me. How beautiful are your feet because you're taking this priceless message of eternal life to every tongue, tribe, and nation in the globe today. You know, there's two keys, compelling keys, to help us complete the mission that Jesus has given to us, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. You know, he didn't say, go and fill the the seats up with people. That's not what he said. Go and count the offering every week and be satisfied with what you find. That's not what he said. He said, go and build great edifices for me. That's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make followers of me. People who will not fall away under pressure. People who will continue to pray and persevere even while they're under pressure. People who understand that it's not if we go through trials, but when we go through trials, that they will come forth like gold. That's what God says in the Word of God. And God today is asking us, and this is what Jesus said. He said, I'm not coming back until every nation and tribe and tongue has been reached with the gospel. So right now you can be assured that Jesus will not come through the skies as lightning from the west to the east at the second coming of Christ. It cannot happen according to the Bible. We're ready for that day, I hope. But Jesus said it's not going to happen until the kingdom of God has been preached to every nation of the world. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and a testimony to all nations, which is ethne in the Greek, which means not countries, but people groups who speak individual languages. There's something like six and a half thousand languages in the world today. And there's approximately still 2,000 ethnic language groups that still need to be reached with the gospel. Isn't that amazing? In 21st century, that we still have such a big task to be done in reaching the world with the gospel. So you and I can actually quicken the return of Christ. How? By making sure that we get the job done and bring the gospel of the kingdom to every tribe and tongue and nation. The second thing that we can do is to make a personal commitment to Jesus' last command. What was his last command? To go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations. If we make a personal commitment to the last command and make it our first priority, friends, we can help get the job done. Make his last command our first priority priority. How do we do that? We do with whatever God has gifted us with and graced us with. We make our contribution as the body to this great end time move of God's Spirit to reach the world with the gospel. What would you do if you were the devil? I know you're not. At least that's why I think your partner probably thinks most of the time that you're not. But what would you do if you were the devil and you knew that your end is actually going to happen if the gospel has been preached to every tongue nation. You knew that your time was up 
When the gospel has reached every people group in the world, you knew that your time is up to do your insidious work of evil in the world. This is what I would do if I was the devil today. And I would make sure that the gospel would not be preached to the whole world. I would make sure that I would marginalize global mission and I would put it off into some small corner and never talk about it or never highlight it to the church of Jesus Christ. I would distract the church with as many activities and busyness as I possibly could. I would get them fighting over what colour the walls of the church would be painted. I would get them fighting over should we have a Christmas tree or shouldn't we have a Christmas tree at our Christmas service at the end of every year. I would get them fighting over the songs that we would sing. Anything to distract the church from the task that Jesus said to us, because I know that my number and my day is up when every tribe, tongue and people group has been reached in the world, that I'm going to be cast into the everlasting lake of fire and my day is done. You know what? That's exactly what the devil is doing right around the world, getting the church to focus on the silliest of things in order to take the focus off, making Jesus' last command our number one priority in the world today. You know, we as a church, can you just pass me that water, hun? We as a church have a vision. Thank you. Lower. Thank you. (laughs) I need to get away with that here. When I get home, I get a hiding. (laughs) Praise God. <laughs> you know, next week you're going to see one of the great apostles of Asia. I really encourage you to get as many people here. And Mary Hart does good like a medicine. This pastor is one of the funniest preachers I have ever, ever heard. He has broken English, but he is hilarious. But as hilarious as he is, he's nearly planted 1,000 churches in 25 years in the, in the nation of Nepal. And uh, many times he's put his own life on the line because of the persecution against the church in that nation. So get them along here next week. Uh, you know, he's planted a thousand. I've, the Lord spoke to me, James, can you do seven? Can you do seven churches by the year 2030? You know, in New Zealand, church planning has become very, very difficult. It's become a big task for us here in this nation. And there's not many people that are going out starting new churches in the current church culture environment that we're in. That we're in. But we want to focus our efforts globally in two areas. Number one, where the gospel hasn't been preached. And we've been supporting Carmel Ministries in India uh, for the last, I've been supporting them for longer. I've been the pastor of this church. They're doing an incredible job. And when we take teams to India, we, we see the uh, incredible work of doing rural church planting and starting churches in places where there has never been a church. And so we will travel sometimes four or five hours to some remote location in India and to see a small group of believers that are there. And we see a church being started and eventually we see a building being built. And so that work has started 60 churches over that time. Two, we, they, we help them sustain two orphanages of approximately 70 children. And the great thing about that is some of the kids who were young when they first went into the orphanage have now come out as university graduates and they're coming back 
to assist and help the work of the ministry where they grew up in those orphanages. So Pastor Ebenezer is doing an incredible job. A few years ago, they started a Christian school. And you ought to see, they started this school with no money, just by faith. Many of the teachers in that school do it voluntarily, voluntary, without pay, to come and teach these kids Christian principles. And so... We, we take the gospel to unreached areas, but we also, secondly, take the gospel to reached areas like Fiji, because just like New Zealand, there's still a great need for evangelism to take place in these nations. And so when we're talking about ra- raising $10,000, $10,000 is not a large amount of money. As an individual, yes, it may be a large amount of money, but collectively to us, we've got the ability to give a man an income so he can focus in on raising the church in that nation. And we believe out of the seed in Nandi will come many other churches over the years to come. As God helps us to raise up other pastors and leaders within that nation to take the good news of a spirit-filled gospel into that land. We're here to empower people. Over the years, we've done a number of different projects, and that's what you'll see there on that motorbike. That's stock standard for many parts of Asia. Susie, you'll see that in the Philippines, where they'll try and fit as many things on uh, a motorbike as possible. But over the years that I've been a pastor, we've supported pastors by buying them motorbikes so that they can get around and do their job of the ministry. We've uh, helped set up fish farms so that pastors can have an income through farming fish and so it supplies them with an income so that they can continue the work of leading churches in many of these impoverished and poor nations. And we've also helped many over the years set up micro enterprise businesses where we've put up the money for them to get involved in business so that they can get their businesses started and then they often will get a family member or an employee to come in and run their business so they can build up the church of Jesus Christ. So I hope you know where we're coming from. We're doing this because God said, if you want to be blessed, blessed to be a blessing. Amen. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And so three things happen to us when we begin to support the work of the gospel around the world. The first thing, number one is this. We are using our money and our resources the way God has always intended. So if you've never done this sort of thing before, I want to tell you, you're missing out on something that the Scripture actually teaches very clearly. Look at this verse from Timothy. One of the most misunderstood areas of life as a Christian is the the responsibility that we have with our resources. So Paul is writing to the young pastor, and he preaches it straight. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. Hello. Tell them, who's that? The congregation, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience the true life. One of the things that's very clear to me in this verse is simply this, and I really want you to get this today. This verse clearly tells us that money is to be used, not to be loved. That money is to be used and not to be loved. You are to use money and you are to love people. 
Hello. You are to use money and to love people. Where we get into trouble is where we put that in reverse. And we love money and we use people. You know what happens when we switch that? This is what happens. We use people to make money. So the apostle says, use money to do good. Praise God. We want to get that into our spirit man this morning. Because as we take that on board, we understand that God has gifted us with resource to use it for good for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to fulfill God's purposes. And in doing so, we understand this, that the second verse says it's a preparation for the future. For what future? For eternal life. And we're going to discover one of the key verses that Jesus preached in his ministry where he nailed this about where our treasure is stored in life. Now, if you're new to the congregation today, you'll know I never preach about money except for when we do mission projects. We don't do big long offering talks in this church. We simply come with a, a, an attitude of gratitude into the house of God and we give as the Lord has placed upon our heart to give to him. And so this isn't about that, but this is to understand that there is so much in the scripture that talks about how we handle our resources is actually positioning ourselves for, for a clear role that will determine in some aspects what's going to happen with our lives in eternity, which is pretty amazing. You see, I only get to use money I have here on earth for 60 to 80 years. Maybe a bit longer than that if God is gracious. But on the other hand, I will get to use the treasure I store up in eternity forever. Amen? And so there's no greater investment strategy. You want a retirement strategy that's out of this world? <laughs> Start investing into the kingdom of God and you'll find that there is a future that's waiting for you where God, and we're going to see this in just a moment. So you, you imagine this. Uh, scenario today, if you focus most of your life here on earth paying attention to material things of the world instead of investing your resources into the Great Commission, when you stand before God on that last great day where every one of us will have to give an account, that account's not, by the way, for Christians, heaven or hell, that account is for rewards or losses of rewards, according to 1 Corinthians 3. So everyone who's received Christ is going to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, then he will give you the gift of eternal life. It's not by your works, lest any man should boast. But let's just say we've received Christ, but our focus has been wrong priorities. And we've focused a lot of our life on material possessions and gaining more. You know, spend to the end, buy till you die type of a scenario within your life. And we get to stand before Jesus on that last day and give an account. You know, I don't think the Lord's going to be impressed when we say, did you see my nice new carpet, Jesus? How about my new Ferrari? Were you impressed with that? You should see how it handles on the corners, Lord. It's amazing. You know, that sounds kind of really empty and hollow, and that's because it is empty and hollow today. And so 
None of us need to lack confidence when we stand before the Lord on that great and last day when we prioritize our attention on the right things. The second thing that takes place when we give to global mission is that when you give to God's global cause, you're becoming more like God with your character. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved that he gave. God so loved that he gave. God so loved that he gave. It is the character and nature of God that love gives. That when we have his nature and character within our life, it's an extension of who we are as a person. And Jesus said this, I loved everybody so much that I didn't want to be separated from them for all eternity. So this is how much I love them. And he stretched his hands out and they were nailed to that cross. And he said, this is how much I love you. I'll give you my life. And in the same way, God so loved that he gave that a part of an extension of the love of God in our lives is that we learn how to be great givers for Jesus. You know, a lot of, the Bible has a lot to say about uh, money and generosity or poverty or lack of finance. But the main thing that we understand that God has a heart you know what? One of the greatest things that God highlights in the scriptures is the poor. So you will find all through the Bible from start to finish that God has a heart for the poor. God understands the inequality that is in the world today. Did you know that if you own a vehicle this morning, that you are in the top 10% of wealthy people in the world if you own a car? You need to understand that. Statistically, it's incredible because we live in such a wealthy nation, New Zealand, that when you go to an impoverished place around the world, you'll find that only the big dogs own all the stuff, that there's an incredible imbalance between the real rich and the real poor. And we find that many in these impoverished nations, that many of the material things are owned by a few. And there is a great poverty throughout the world. And so this is what God says about the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. Well, there's a promise. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. In other words, if you have the means and God has highlighted the need in your life of the poor and you close your heart and you close your eyes to them, you're inviting a curse of poverty upon your life. The Bible puts it another way that many of us develop holes in our pockets and our pay goes in and it slips out of our pocket and we can never understand why we don't have enough. And it's because our priorities haven't been aligned with God's priorities on how he views the world. Proverbs 19:17 tells us this, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Hello, isn't that a great verse? Woohoo! Diana, how much have you given to Global Mission in Africa? $25,000 that this lady has given by collecting a few bits and pieces down the back every week, and she has passed that on to orphans in Africa. There you go. She couldn't do it without us. And that's the way that God thinks about it. He can't do it without us. And so he highlights to us how he thinks about it. Now, I want to tell you something. Fiji is not a wealthy nation. 
It is wealthy and natural resource, but the average Fijian never gets to see that wealth. And so living in Fiji, it is a challenging life. They make very poor wages, two, three dollars an hour in some cases in that nation. And so by us helping out our pastor and our church over there, we're going to be able to see their need alleviated, for example, transport by being able to contribute to this need. Lastly, this morning, when you invest in God's global fund, you are investing in eternal outcomes. Amen. I, I, um, one of the interesting scriptures that you'll read, and you'll be thinking twice about this verse today when I read it to you, Jesus is speaking, and it's probably one of the most un, un, misunderstood verses in the whole of the New Testament. Luke 16, 9 says this, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Does that sound like Jesus talking? Use, come on, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into, into eternal dwellings. What does this really mean? This is what I believe I think this verse means. It means that when you invest your resources into bringing people into the kingdom of God, and seeing people meet Christ and become born again, then those people will be eternally grateful for you and there will be a welcome when you get to heaven because you have used your resource and you've helped them find passage into heaven by offering Christ to them through the resources that you give. You will have friends for eternity. And one day you're going to turn up and you're going to say, you know that $100 that you gave for that mission operation? Well, guess what? It helped me to find Jesus. And I'm in heaven today because of what you gave into the cause of global missions. We're all shareholders in eternity. That's what the Bible speaks of. We're shareholders as we contribute into global mission. We are contributing into souls that will find Christ for eternity because of the work that we, do, that we do. Don't just think of the work that you do as investing in a piece of machinery where the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. That's not what it's all about. It's actually about who's going to get on the bus to pick them up for church, to get to hear the gospel, to be preached because of our gift to that situation. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. So you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I love that thought that people are going to walk up to me in eternity and they're going to say, thank you, Pastor James. I want you to know I'm here because of what you did down here on earth. I'm so grateful that you bothered to worry about us over here in this little corner of the world this morning. Finally, this morning, we need to understand that what we do for Jesus and the kingdom of God, our time, our money, our resources, they're going to far outlast our career. They're going to outlast our hobbies. It will far outlast anything else that we have going in our lives. And Jesus put it like this, a straight word from the King of Kings. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. In other words, those temporal things are eventually going to fade 
away. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I want to put it to you another way. If you're storing up treasure here on earth, then every day you need to understand as every day passes, you're getting further and further away from your treasure. Why is that? Because if we invest our treasure in heaven, then every day I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the real treasure that I've stored in heaven. How do we store treasure in heaven? By giving to God's work our time, our talents, and our resources to expand the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, God keeps an account of it. I want to tell you today that Jesus knows every act, every motivation, every thought in our lives that contribute towards the kingdom of heaven, and there will be rewards granted in the kingdom. Read 1 Corinthians 3 this afternoon if you have time to read it. Read it two or three times and understand the significance within your life today of how you can make an impact for eternity. But understand this. Rewards will be given in eternity and there will be loss of rewards in eternity because God is measuring the way that we receive. You see, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ as opposed to the great white throne judgments, the two judgments that are mentioned in the Bible, the great white throne judgment, the sheep and the goats in Scripture, and those, that judgment is going to be on whether you receive Christ or not. And if you didn't receive Christ, then the Bible says that you, along with the devil and a third of the angels of heaven, will be thrown into the lake of fire. You know, we put this out on the internet today. And the way that things are standing right now, uh, in Southern California, they just had a massive earthquake, a couple of earthquakes this week. Did you know that they've got the most liberal legislation that has just been passed by the legislative chambers in Southern California where I can't preach this stuff anymore about hell, where I can't preach on the LGBT agenda anymore? I will be literally taken and arrested. And this is in the United States of America, the land of the free and the brave where legislation has now been passed that is actually telling me what I can preach and can't preach out of the Bible. We are living in some pretty dicey times. Would you not agree, church? And so I want, while we have breath in our lungs, the church that, churches that we pastor and that we lead... And we've trained Samu and Susanna. You, you know, we, we've trained Samu and Susanna to do this. Do you know why? They would never leave a double good income with a great lifestyle here in New Zealand to literally step off the plank and live by faith in Fiji without a job unless they had actually grabbed a hold of what I'm sharing with you today. In other words, they're willing to put their life on the line for the sake of the gospel. And I think that we can, by the grace of God, raise some money for them so that they can have an income. Do you agree with that, church, this morning? So, as we finish this message, could I just ask us just to stand as we have a word of prayer?